stay in contact with your leadership here at this church as much as we can. Uh, by extension, because we love them so dearly, we can't help but love you. Because we pray for them so seriously, we can't help but be in prayer for you. So there are many faces that we don't know, which is a good thing. This is the way it's supposed to be when we arrive. It's that we should see some familiar faces and we should see a lot of faces that we're not very familiar with. So we're, uh, it's a pleasure for us to be here. My family's here on the front row. Um, I really, I woke up on Friday morning, um, and I really felt, before I even got out of bed, um, not quite sure whether I was awake or getting awake, or the Lord awoke me, but I really feel like I have a word for you guys today, Amen. Uh, and it came uh, just literally as I was sitting up in bed, and it was just talking, I, I want to talk to you about having the mind of Christ, uh, is where we're going. Having the actual mind of Christ is what we're going to talk about today. But to get there, I want to start off like this. Um, I don't know if how many of you guys, uh, I started off driving. Um, my, I graduated from high school in 1992, 37. Just go ahead and since all of you guys are going to be trying to do the math on that anyway, 37. Uh, I started driving. My first car that I had was as I graduated high school, my dad got me a 1992, that's when I graduated, a Saturn. Okay, 1992 Saturn. This is not the actual Saturn. But this is very, very similar to the Saturn that I have. It was um, probably the lowest model that they made that year. Um, I didn't even have, actually, the reason I know that this isn't the car. Um, this uh, passenger side uh, mirror, yeah, it, I didn't have a mirror. Um, there was no power anything. I, had, I didn't even have power steering. 
Okay, so it was great. I loved it. I mean, I, it was great. It was a five-speed. How many of you guys know how to drive wow. a standard? Okay, there's some of you that may not, and that's okay. That's okay, because I learned to drive on this car, and I loved it. After a while, I kept it for 10 or 12 years, and I finally sold it, and somebody else who was a much better mechanic than I am fixed up and drove it for another whatever years. Um, but so, so here's what here's what got me thinking. When, we start, when I started thinking about having the mind of Christ, actually, weird things, right? I thought back to this car. And I thought about the ability to be able to drive a stick shift. Because really, what are you doing when you're driving a stick shift? When you are driving, let me help you out here, because I think I have it too low. Thank you. He's working like a crazy man back there, and I'll just help him out. Um, is really what you're trying to do is you're trying to balance two things as you drive. You're trying to balance speed and force. Okay, everybody say speed. Speed and force. Force. So you're trying to navigate. When you're in first gear, what are you trying to do? You have low speed because you need a lot of force to get you going. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Even yeah. if you haven't driven that, that should make sense. The higher and the faster you go, by the time you get to fifth gear, you don't need a lot of force because you're already moving. Yeah. So all I need to do is have a lot of speed and not a lot of force. So as you navigate through those gears, you increase and you decrease the force. Now, here's, here's the parallel. And you have to excuse me because I am, I am a teacher at heart. So the idea of um, you getting what I feel like God has put on my heart is the most important thing to me today. Amen. With all due respect, I don't, I'm not worried that you like me. <laughs> I'm not worried that you're fond of my teaching versus someone else because you guys have great teachers here at this church. Amen. What I'm interested in is that you catch the heart of what goes on so that your life can be transformed by the power of what God's going to do. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So, so this gear, just, just give, him, give me a moment here as we, as we shift through the gears. <coughs> there are a lot of us in our lives, and we don't really think about our lives having to shift gears. We talk about it, but if you're like um, me, you like being in fifth gear. Yeah. Yep. Wide open. Let's go. Amen. Yeah. I, um, if I were going to compare my life to a car, I would say that I have no rearview mirror. <laughs> I'm not interested in looking behind me. Right. Because yes. if it's behind me, it don't matter. Because I'm going forward. There we go. Yeah. Now I have a wife. Um, uh, her vehicle would have a much larger rear rearview mirror because she is the heartbeat of our family. She is the one that remembers and can call out things of God, remember what God has done. Amen. Do you remember back there? Can you see that back there? And I'm like, Amen. oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. Amen. So it's not, this is not a good or bad thing. I'm just saying that there's a difference here. So she is the one that's sentimental. She's the one that helps me to remember a whole emotional side and slow down. She's the one that helps me remember life is not always best lived in fifth year. Sometimes I need to slow down. And sometimes as God has you moving from one point to another, you have to figure out, and this is not necessarily as easy as you might think. Because we are wired, again, I'm wired to be in fifth gear. Anything less than that, and I feel weird. Just awkward. What do I do with this thing? Um, and I don't know if you guys, when you're first learning how to drive, you got to manage the, the clutch and the gas, and then there's brakes, that, uh, it's, it's got to be there too. And so you're going along, and w there's an old saying, at least when I grew up, that you can't find it, grind it. You're kind of going along, and you're trying to manage what's going on. The truth, and, and here's the parallel. In our lives, the, the example that I want to show you from this car is that your thought process 
is the gears. It's, it, they're the gears in your life. How do I manage this? Do I need more force right now? Or do I need to back off a little bit and let some of the speed help carry me? Okay, am I getting started? Do I need to slow this thing down and put forth an energy that's required to birth something? Or do I need to do more maneuvering? A little bit less force and a little bit more speed so I can maneuver through this cautiously. Or do I need to just kind of, we're getting going. And let me encourage you that in your different phases of life, you're going to need to shift. Amen. And sometimes you're going to have to downshift. Yeah. You're going to have to slow it down because why? You're in a different season of your life. Yeah. You have to slow down. Can I tell you, one of those seasons in our life was when we started having kids. Fifth gear don't work, but it doesn't work very well with, with babies in the house. Yeah. Slow that thing down. Yeah. And I haven't even talked about reverse, right? <laughs> I haven't even talked about the times where God just says, you just need to stop. Oh. Completely stop. Use the other little pedal that you have and stop. And listen to what I'm telling you. Oh, I gotta go to fifth gear. <laughs> what happens when you put a car in the wrong gear? Um, I grew up and started to drive in Baton Rouge, Louisiana where I know um, Pastor Eric and Pastor Matt from. There was a, there was a street in Baton Rouge called Florida Boulevard. Back up in the hood. What's <laughs> 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 it's all right. It's real. It is. Uh, and so, so, like, the road... That's off the map. So, the service streets, the frontage roads, were one height, and then Florida Boulevard had been built up probably six or seven feet. But the issue is, is that space from here to here was very short. Yeah. Okay? So bear with me for just a second. I'm a new driver. I'm 17. I'm just out of high school. And I would hate it when it'd be like, red light. Oh, no! Oh, God, I got to stop. I got my foot on the brake. And I'm like stressing out. And look, please, God, don't let anybody come behind me because I may kill them all. You know? And so you're like... Like you're in the nat, like you're waiting for the green light of a NASCAR race. You're like, go, go, because you have to add a lot of force. Or what happens? You just roll back. Yeah. You're just like, ooh, or you stop, or you, oh. all these things start going through your head. Now, after a while, I got really good at it. Um, I didn't need to watch my gauges anymore. I could, I would drive by the sound. Right. I didn't have to look at anything. I could talk, I could listen to the radio. I, I got to the point, because I'm just this much of a nerd. Um, I got to the point where I wanted to see, I would practice starting off in the wrong gear. <laughs> and I a fifth gear in my brain. So I would start off, and I'd see if I could start off in the second gear. Much, much harder. Sometimes I'd even go crazy and try to start in the third gear. So it was... A lot of gas, pull off, and it's and take forever to accelerate, right? Can I tell us that sometimes that we get in points in our lives and we're just in the wrong gear? You're just in the wrong place in your thinking. So what do you do? You add a whole lot of frustration. You're trying to go, God, why isn't there momentum building in my life? He's going, you're in the wrong gear. You have the wrong mindset for what I'm asking you to do right now. You need to have low speed and high force. Why? Because it's something new. You need to slow it down and birth something that God is doing. Or let it reveal or come to fruition in your life. Well, what's, what's the opposite of the example that I just gave? If um, 
if you're in a high, too high of a gear for the situation, <coughs> or it'll die, or you don't have any momentum. What happens the opposite? If I'm going instead of downshifting to fourth, let's say I actually I accidentally miss it and I downshift to second. In fifth, I just need to slow down just a little bit, and I overcompensate and go down too low. What happened? Mm -hmm. oh, what happens? There's this tension in my life. If I'm going to compare it to my life, there's this angst that comes all of a sudden because I'm not geared right. The speed is too much for me, and I've tried to slow it down, and I've missed it. I've totally missed the point of what's going on, and God's wanting some momentum. He's wanting to kick me out of the nest, and I'm kind of, oh, I want to slow it down to this. No, you've got to let the mind of Christ lead you to put you in the right gear for the right time. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, man. I know that's kind of a, just a very natural example. But I wanted to start from that point so that we can look at some different things. We have to learn how to shift gears without grinding. Because here's what we grind. We grind our heart. You'll allow in this example, if our mind is the, are the gears... The grinding comes where we mess up our heart. <coughs> what happens? Have you ever, uh, let's put it this have you ever known someone, right, which is what we really need for, yeah, this happened to me. Um, have you ever known someone who ran, who seemed to be running a great race in the Lord, and then all of a sudden, he's super discouraged, not even sure if they're going to come to church anymore. Like, what happened? The Bible says, you were running such a great race. What happened? Who stepped in? What, what went on here? There's too much grinding that goes on. If we're not just sensitive enough to go, God, we need, we need your help. Um, Pastor Eric mentioned it during the prayer. I was actually going to bring this up. Um, when you come to church, part of this mindset is, I hope that some of these things, you go, ooh, that's me. I need to work on that. God, God needs to change that in me. Um, one of the things that we do when we come to church Studies say, uh, George Barnard conducts a lot of surveys across the Christian world. He asks Christian people a lot of questions. And he's smart enough to put together statistics, and I just read his statistics and use them. Um, but he says that the average church family and the average child in a church spends 40 hours a year in church. The average. So maybe you're above average and you spend 50 hours. Or your kids spend 50 hours in church. Maybe you are super duper and your kids spend a whole 100 hours a year in church. The comparison is, is that the average family, as a parent, you're going to get 3,000 hours to spend with your kid. Wow. So I'm going to use the original statistic of 40 hours versus 3,000 hours. Who has the greatest influence? You do. The parents do. I do with my kids. Now, as a church, do we want to make those 40 hours count? Oh, my goodness. I'm actually, part of my task at the church that I'm in is to be the kids' pastor. That's why I think through these statistics like this. I only have 40 hours for the average kid. A kid who comes every Sunday and every Wednesday, maybe it's closer to 100 hours. That's still only 100 hours versus 3,000. So even the best kid that I have at church, I, I know that I have a deficit, so I want to make that count. It's the same thing with our life. Do you know how many hours the average adult spends watching TV? Six, uh, four and a half. Sorry, four and a half. What I was going to say was when you add how much time the average adult spends online, 
then it goes up to about six or seven hours for the average adult. Six or seven hours a day. I'm sorry. Six or seven hours a day on some type of media, on some type of someone else telling us what to think. The reason I bring that up is it's no wonder that our thinking doesn't quite always line up. Sometimes the wrong gear is because we've spent a lot of time doing a lot of other things. Am I bashing TV? No. I'm not. That's not the issue. The issue is finding what the mind of Christ is. Proverbs 23, 7 says this. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Proverbs 23, 7. If you're taking notes, you can go back and look at that one later. <coughs> The problem is, is we are designed as a culture that we want things in sound bites. We want things in snippets. We want things in the shortest possible span, so we think that we get the whole thing. And here's what I think that it causes. I call it secondhand theology. I'm sure smarter people have used terms like this. I made this one up, I think. <laughs> and so I'll have to define it for you. To me, secondhand theology is when we allow... Um, you guys know what Twitter is? Yeah. Okay, I live in Austin, Austin area, home of Twitter. Everybody tweets, which is the verb. Yeah. If you're on Twitter, you tweet. I don't know. I don't know why it's that way. I just, whatever little bird, word we're using, that's what we do, right? So you tweet, but people like the idea of 140 characters. If you don't know what Twitter is, it's basically like your status update on Facebook. Just a short little blurb that tells everybody what you're doing. Most of the time, annoyingly so. Yeah. Okay. I was the mom. Great. I don't care. <laughs> uh, but the idea of secondhand theology is this, is that we allow tweets, sound bites, sermons, other people's teaching to replace a sincere hunger in our hearts for what God has. Now, um, obviously we want to encourage you to come to church. We want to encourage you to dive into the, to the teaching that goes on here. But my walk with God cannot be predicated on Eric Stevens. As much as I love and respect, it cannot be predicated on what Matt Pero does. I've got to find out, and God will speak to me. We serve the God who wants to be with us. This is such a, a divine principle that God wants to be with us. We know that, that we were supposed to call him Jesus, right? He comes to the earth. What is, his, what is the other part of his name? We're going to call him Emmanuel, which means? God with us. That's the name that he picked. God with us. God wants to be close to us. So if we have a secondhand theology, then what we do is we allow other people to, to do the studying, to cut up the meat for us on the plate, and feed it to us. Now the reason, and, and I enjoy, um, I like studying leadership stuff, and I, I enjoy hearing those those leadership quotes, you know, I mean, you can go through and uh, there are entire websites devoted to, I'm like, oh, that's a great quote. Oh, that's great. But the problem is that person spent a lifetime figuring out and there's depth behind the quote. I'm trying to eat, the, I'm trying to take in the quote and make it my main course. I'm trying to take the bite-sized sampler and say that I'm going to sustain my walk with Christ through the bite-sized sampler. You know, the Love H-E-B. Like the little lady in the H-E-B, she's cutting up the little you know, sausages for you, put them on a cracker. Thank you. I'm really hungry. That helps a lot. I will now try all of the things you have in H-E-B today. Thank you. You know, when you go around, 
really, if we're not careful, though, as Christians, we do the same thing. Now, and now I want to say, I, I think you guys, I hope that you understand what a unique, what a powerful church that you're a part of. I have been in small churches. I am. I have been in large churches. I'm currently in a large church. And there are things when I think about what goes on here and when I pray for you guys, I'm moved more than I can express to you because God is in your midst. I'm not saying that I'm at a church that doesn't have God in the midst. What I'm saying is you are part of a church that God's hand is upon. You're part of a church where you can come and watch the gifts of the Spirit move. You're part of a church that you can be discipled in. That there's accountability. You know, one of the things that I work very hard at my church to do is figure out how to help people get discipled. Because there's just so many people that come through the door. I, I don't even know who the... I haven't even... I don't know everybody who goes to my church. Hey, I'm... Wait, so the oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Have you been here before? Yeah, I've been here for two years. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just part of it. Multiple services, multiple campuses. I honestly don't know everybody who goes to my own church. And my heart is a heart that, that yearns for discipleship. So everybody I meet who's been there for two years, I wonder, hey, are you really connected? Do you really love the Lord? I don't know. <laughs> I hope they do. I want to encourage them to, but I don't know. You guys are in a place that the vulnerability of being in a place like this. Pastor Eric, you would just show up the service. Yeah. You can get more people in here. If you would just do this, Pastor Matt, you serve a church. You are part of a church that understands what God is calling you to do. I love that. Mm. What a precious thing. So I don't say these things as if you haven't heard these things, but I, there's a seriousness that's in my heart. There are some things that have to be shaken loose from my thinking lately. Let me just tell you where my heart is. How many things I've looked at lately and went, that may not actually be God at all. <laughs> Go figure. That was something that I completely made up and attributed to God. Mm. I looked at it and I thought through it and it was a nice sounding thing and I went, wow, man, that's cool. Watch this. And this. Wow. And you throw it out there and you're like, yeah, that was good. That wasn't even true. Mm -hmm. not trying to be, you know, not trying to be deceitful. I just went, oh, wait. Oh, I let Eric tell me that lesson. And I tried to take it and make it my own so I could sound good. The idea, guys, is what we're doing here. Um, turn to John chapter 9. Take a look at an example where the disciples are <laughs> as well. John chapter 9. John chapter 9 and verse 1. <coughs> you there? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't hear a whole lot of theirs. Okay. Uh, so, John chapter 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
Do you realize just what happened? I mean, that's just two verses, right? Do you realize what happened? Jesus is walking along and sees a blind man. The disciples ask him a question that shows where their thinking is and shows them shows everybody what gear they're in. Because according to the disciples, there's only two reasons for someone to be blind. There's only two. This guy messed up, and God has rained down wrath from high, on high, or his parents messed up and punished the kid. I mean, are you seeing this? Yeah. It's right there. Who sinned, this guy or his parents? <laughs> I know we know it has to be one of those two. <laughs> what does Jesus say? It's neither. That's not even the issue, guys. This man nor his parents, neither this man nor his parents have sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Amen. The disciples had bad theology, folks. They had thoughts that they grew up with thinking was okay. And when they encountered Jesus and brought it to him, they realized, because of God's great love, that they weren't thinking correctly about what was going on. They thought they were, until they were corrected. As adults, we become very adept at covering our sin, covering the way we think, um, you know, um, whatever the excuses are. I'm wired this way. This is my temperament. I've just got Irish blood through my veins. You know, whatever. No, you have an anger problem. <laughs> you, know, you have sin at work in your life, and you like to call it an issue, right? You, you guys know that's what we call it today. We yeah. call them issues. Yeah. I have an issue. Yeah, you do. It's called sin. <laughs> it's called not living the way God told you to. Right? It's these things that we try to rationalize. We make sound real nice because ultimately... We live in a culture that's very comfort-driven. Don't go too long in the service. My air conditioner's out in my car. That may be the end of the world. We don't want to even be uncomfortable in how we think. Um, I heard someone say this one time, and I thought it was a brilliant picture. Um, religion, as a whole, constructs boxes of what we think God is like. And the whole key to religion and keeping it religion is you've got to tell me only what's in this box. Don't tell me something out of this box because we will revolt. But we've heard everything in this box so much that now you have to tell us everything in the box in an entertaining way so that we'll stay. What a confining picture of who God is. Don't challenge me to think. Don't challenge me to evaluate even things maybe that I thought that I knew. I'm getting to the point in my life where I think I've forgotten more than I, you know, more than I know now. <laughs> I'm like, man, I used to know where that scripture was. I'm going to go study that out again. When somebody asks me something, I'm like, oh, I can't remember. I used to know that. Hey, that's great. That's part of God's provision for us is that we'll constantly go back and seek him. Amen. That, we'll, that we'll, we'll dig it out. Psalm 78 in verse 72 says this. Psalms 78. I'm just going to read it to you real quick. And then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 2. So if you want to skip ahead to 1 Corinthians, you can. Psalm 78 in verse 70 says this. He chose David. Let me back up. Psalm 78 really kind of gives you a recap of a lot of the history of Israel. It's really a neat little chapter that summarizes kind of a, a, a recap. A rewind is what we call it at our church. We'll do little videos and say, hey, here's what God did and 2011. Here's what God did in the first few months of 2012. 
we kind of do a rewind. This is really what this chapter is. It's a, it's a verbal rewind of what the children of Israel have gone through. In verse 7 it says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob. From the sheep pens to the palace, right? From the pens to the palace. Of Israel, his inheritance. Verse 72 says this, And David shepherded them with two things. David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. There's a saying that is used even in the secular realm. It says, hire for character, train for competency. Hire for character, train for competency. In other words, if I get a good person on my staff, I could probably get them to do whatever the task is that I need them to do. Right? The way the world really wants to do it as large is let me see the most talented, the most able, the most capable, and let's make them and exalt them all over the place. Mm -hmm. That's why I like that saying. We're going to, that was kind of a, a, someone had told me that early on when I was a principal. Hire for character, train for competence. Mm. I think that's exactly what God does. I think that's what this verse says. God picked David because of the integrity of his heart with skillful hands he led them. Let me encourage you. God is going to give you the ability when he knows that your heart is for him. He can give you the ability. He can grant that to you. He can impart that to you. He can cause the details to work out to train you to do the very thing that you don't feel like you're trained to do. As long as your heart is full of integrity. Amen. As a matter of fact, most of the time, God uses your availability more than your ability. Yeah. Right? Amen. I mean, doesn't that make sense? Yeah. He used this guy. Really? I, I know the, the pastors who lead your church. He used their availability more than their ability. I'm not saying they don't have ability. But that's what God uses is people who have that kind of heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. There. 1 Corinthians Chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. I'm just going to stop right there and comment on that for just a second. This is Paul. <laughs> Paul. Let's go ahead and argue that he's the greatest preacher that's ever lived. We could argue some other names in there. I'm just going to argue that he may be the best. 27, or, you know, two-thirds of the New Testament. I'm going to say he had some significant things for him. I don't think that this was a sense of false humility. Call shucks. Torn nothing, ma'am. I think this was... Right? That's what we think, at least in Louisiana where we grew up. We thought humility meant you were very self-deprecating. <laughs> Humility equals self-deprecation in where I grew up. No, that, that wasn't me. That wasn't nothing. Oh, he's so humble. 
I don't know why I'm talking like this, but I just like it. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me feel good, right? <laughs> right? That's, that's not even the issue. That's not what God has intended. And that's, I don't think, what Paul's doing. He's not going, I was kind of scared. I came to you in much fear. I think that there's some genuineness that's going on here that allows us to see what is the focus. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ of Him crucified. Wow. I came to you in weakness and in fear. I think it was more of an understanding of who he was, whose power he was walking in, who had empowered him. I come to you with fear and trembling and, and with much weakness here. Verse 4, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Again, if you look at that in the natural, you go, out of all people, he probably would have had the most wise words. His understanding of, of customs and scripture and whatever else far surpasses what I can give you today. I don't even know that it was a lack there of but what, what he was trying to contrast that with. A message in my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but, so you know that conjunctive word, right? The word but means that what I said was truthful, it was true. The thing that I'm about to say is more important. Hey, I love you. But when you say that to somebody, what you're saying is, that's true. What I'm about to tell you next is more important for the context of our, our comment. So this is what Paul's saying. He's saying that's true. But I'm going to tell you something more important, so pay attention. My message and my preaching were not with wise persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Part of what we have to do to make sure that we are thinking correctly, that we have our lives in the right gear for the right time at the right place, is understand that God is a God of power. I, I welcome a, a worship service like we had today. I welcome it. Where you actually get to see a demonstration of God's power. I don't, I don't, and again, I don't know enough of you to even know if this is accurate. If you're new here or a guest or newer here, and this is weird to you, let me encourage you, it's just a demonstration of God's power. Amen. What I always wonder and want to know is why people want to serve a God who doesn't actually talk to anyone. <laughs> yeah. I, I can understand an argument where you and I can sit down and we can philosophize on what God did and what He's going to do and when He's going to come back. and That's great. Why don't you want to serve a God who's still powerful? Yeah. Why don't you want to serve a God who can still talk to you? And, and the answer, the, the only answer that I can come to, because if I ever ask that to somebody, nobody ever says, you know, I really just don't want all that God has for me. I've never come across somebody who says that in a statement like that. But the problem is, is that it causes us to realize that we can't always be right. We know that intellectually sometimes, but the pride in us, the, the pride in me, wants to forget that I can that I cannot be right all the time if I'm serving someone who's bigger and better than me. I can by necessity I have to realign myself with him constantly so that my life shows a demonstration of God's power not just with words not just with words that make you feel good but with some type of demonstration of God's power at work. Amen. God is a God of power. When we forget that 
when we are transforming our everyday lives to, to forget that truth, we put ourselves in the wrong gear. Amen. We put ourselves trying to do things that really just... Uh, as I try to walk out the calling of God in my life, can I tell you that I often feel overwhelmed? Yeah. I... Um, there are days when I feel like, man, this I, I can do this. I could be a pastor for the rest of my life. And there are days when I'm like, I can't believe, I can't speak my way out of a paper bag. I don't know what I'm doing. One day, someone will find out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they will make me do <laughs> you, know? you know? You know why? Because, and I think that's part of the deal, is for God to say, God, I'm going to trust you anyway. I know that you called. I know that you will provide. I also know that I'm not enough. Mm. And to cover that feeling of inadequacy, people do a lot of things like deciding they're going to trust in themselves more. Mm. Not to fix the problem, but to fix the feeling of the problem. Mm. And what we're doing here is we're trying to say, God is a God of, of power. He's a God of power, and He should be at work in our lives. It should bring us joy and comfort. It brings our natural human Nature, it brings it discomfort and angst to realize that God is the God that has all power. But really what it should do is provide a peace force to be able to work. Verse 6. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. But not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Not only is a God a God of power, but He's a God of wisdom. Yeah. And it's very clear in this passage that it sets it up versus the natural wisdom. And I want to take just a minute on this idea. Um, do you know how many people in America think that the following statement is an actual scripture? Okay? The, the statement is this. The Lord helps those. A recent survey done, over 75% of people who proclaim to be Christians thought that that was the scripture. I can't remember where the survey was done. Maybe it was, maybe it was just a weird group of people, right? That 75% is weird and everybody else knows it. I, I, I dare say that that's probably, that may even be too low of a number. The Lord helps those who help themselves. To thine own self be true. <laughs> there are statements like this that you go and you're like, well, clearly if you've ever read the Bible, <laughs> if, you've, if you don't have a second-hand, second-hand theology, you realize that those things aren't Scripture. And truthfully, the idea that the Lord helps those who helps themselves, ultimately it's anti-Scripture. <laughs> it sounds good. It says, Lord, isn't it? It must be great. Right? But there's a wisdom that comes from this world, and here's, here's what I want to take just a second to think about. That we can never, and I love, I love this church for this reason. You guys have a good understanding that it's not about the American dream. Yeah. Please, I am not knocking America. Yeah. Okay? I love that God has planted me here. I love that, 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 God, that God has me here. My job as a believer is not to find, to get a house and have 2.3 kids, and a dog, and all the products that I can list with eyes on them. You know, I, that is not my job. 
That is not what I've been called to do. My dream is not to fulfill to look like everyone else. My dream is not to find a place of ultimate comfort and ultimate rest so I can just put it in fifth gear and be done with it. And cruise to the end. I like the idea more of that um, if my life is going to be compared with a vehicle, that it's going to be banged up and beat up, probably coming in on two wheels, maybe flipping over, totally spent, out of gas, smoke coming out of the front. <laughs> And I'm done. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather have my life look like that. Amen. Not comfort, not cruise control. You know, praise God if you got you know, cars with cruise control. I don't have a problem. But, like, I want my life to be spent. When I get there, I, I, I want it to be so spent that every day that I'm just, my, my job is to pour it out to be as uncomfortable as possible. Wow. Yes. That's so backwards. My, my flesh does not like that. <laughs> I want to be comfortable. I really do. I like air conditioning. Air conditioning, I, I do. I like being inside versus, I mean, I do. But the issue is that I can't live a life based on those, that, that American ideal. Amen. Versus, let's, let's take it away from a country, right? Because it's not just a country, it's humanity. That human idea that says, I really want to keep something back for myself. And the more that I can keep back for myself, the better I feel, even though it's a complete delusion, right. even though it's completely deceptive. The modern thinking that teaches us that church is just another place for us to be a consumer. We try to come up with formulas. There are all kind of seminars that you can go to to figure out how to grow your church bigger. I have someone that I know, and, and I, think, I think his heart is very pure about it. He wants to encourage a thousand churches to get to a thousand members. I'm not saying that God didn't tell him to do that. I'm just saying, at what price do we do some of these things? At, at what point are we using worldly principles to try to build the church and wonder why the church looks so much like the world? Mm-hmm. You can't use marketing principles and expect spirit-filled things to happen. You can't use um, the methodology of the world. This is honestly what I got to a few weeks back. Lord, can I accomplish everything on my list without you? I'm a to-do list kind of guy. I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. I've got to keep it orderly in my noggin. Lord, can I honestly do everything on this list if your spirit leaves me? That's a scary question to ask. Because if you want to be, if I want to be really honest with you, most of the things that I had on my list, I can do. And I didn't need it now. I've looked at it and I have to be completely honest and vulnerable with you. I can organize that. I can call these people. I can get these people to do this. I can prepare for this. And as I went through the list, I was like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've either constructed a list that doesn't reflect you. But the problem is that I've constructed, if I'm not careful, I'm going to construct a life that doesn't reflect you. That's right. 
I'm a pastor of a church. I work on a pastoral staff. My life is spent trying to build the kingdom of God. And I have to go back and say, God, am I thinking right? Am I just doing this because I'm organized enough and I can lead people enough? Can I do this without you? Because I don't want to. I want to be like Exodus that Moses when he says, God, if you don't go before me, if you're not going with me, just don't send me up. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to go get a job somewhere. Amen. I don't work in a church because it's my job. I work in it because it's, I can't not do it. Amen. Because I have to do what God has called me to do. Amen. Frail and weak and foolish as I may be. As inadequate as I am for the magnitude of the call, I can assure you that I'm completely inadequate for what he's called me to do. That I am sure. But what a great place to be in. God, I have to yearn for you. I have to live a life of faith or I will fail. I will fail. If I don't really, if I don't live a life of faith for God. I do not want to get it. How many scriptures do you read? And it talks about, so that you do not labor in vain. Yes. That is the one of my personal, the way that I'm in my own heart, that is one of my biggest fears. Is that I will labor and it will be in vain. If I don't have a wife that adores me, I'm laboring in vain. If I don't have kids that adore me and love God, then I'm laboring in vain. Period. Though I could build whatever I might be able to build, it will be in vain unless my thoughts and my heart are perfectly aligned with God's word. That idea of the list has been messing with me. Mm -hmm. God, give me a new list. Amen. Do the tasks change? Maybe not. I have to do what I have to do. In my church, the services come and I have to be ready. I have to train people to be able to do the work of the Lord. And your work, maybe it's your, your business, maybe it's your home, whatever it is, you still have to get things done. But the part of the part of this issue that we have to clarify our thinking, we have to get the cobwebs out, we have to we have to rub our eyes and get clarity, is that that's not the focus. If you're like me, you can get task driven. I've got to accomplish more things off. And you know what the problem is? Is I've been rewarded for that all my life. Yeah, I've been rewarded for worldly thinking all my life. I've been rewarded for thinking that all I have to do is work harder, rely on my own strength more. Let me, let me translate that for you. Right. When I was in high school, you know what happened when I worked harder? I made great grades. I was valedictorian. I got scholarships to college. So you know what I did? So I got to college and I worked even harder. This is working. And and so I got straight A's in college. And then I went and got a job. And you know what I did then? I worked really hard. And, and you know what happened then? I went from being a teacher to an assistant principal. You know what happened then? I worked really hard. And you know what happened then? I became principal. And you know what happened then? And then I moved. And two years ago, we got to Austin. I'm, I'm doing, I'm walking my collar now. And then you know what happened then? I worked really hard. And I got more added to my plate. And so I'm in charge of more and more things. And you know what happened then? 
I realize that I have a problem. <laughs> kind of slow, right? <laughs> yeah, when you're really slow for yeah. Yeah. I realize that I don't know how to rest. I realize that although my heart and I say a lot of different things, ultimately, I think that it has to be my hand that accomplishes the work. God's merciful. He's, he's working with me. Because what I realize is I don't want to take and make anything happen anymore. Amen. If he won't do it, then it doesn't need to be done. Amen. If he can't move on somebody without me using some formula that I know or I think to be true, if God can't cause people to come, then maybe they don't need Brother, you're, you're not being taken in balance. I want to see the whole world. I mean, I want to see people moved and rocked by God. Yeah. But the issue was that even at 37, I still have to re-shift my thinking all the time. Yes. I have to go, it's not about you, stupid. <laughs> It's not about the effort that I put forth. Now, is showing effort? That's fine. There's, there's great biblical principles in being diligent. The issue isn't the diligence. It was me thinking incorrectly about the diligence. It was me thinking that I had to do it and, and really truthfully figuring out that I was afraid that if I failed, that it was ultimately catastrophic. Yeah. I am now to the point in my life I'm understanding, even if, what's, what's the worst that happens? Even if I fail, let me fail while having faith in God. Yes. Amen. Let me fail while letting God be God. Amen. I don't have to be the Holy Spirit in your life. I love you. I pray for you. That's not my job. Amen. It's not my job to do the work of the Holy Spirit and the people in my church. It's not. Am I becoming passive? Absolutely not. I think I'm finally just getting balanced and you know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing God do things in amazing ways. Yes. I'm seeing people's lives change like never before. And it's because He is a God of wisdom. It's because that He's letting me... Ah. And I'm telling you, it, I'm so grateful to work in the church that I'm in that has a pastor who loves God, who's anointed as all get out. I'm glad that I'm around people who can go... Oh, but it's also showing, it's revealed more about me than the situation around us. Right? You realize that the job and your feelings about your job show more about your heart than it does about the job, right? Yeah. You realize that when you come here and if there's any tension or any struggle or anything, that you realize it's showing more about your heart than anything else, right? Amen. That, that's really what we're, we're putting places in our lives so that God can work these things out in us. Even if there's disagreements. It's not bad. It's designed to work things out and it's to remind us you're not right about everything. And we all know that. But we don't always know that. In my life, I know that, but I still live like I've got to be the right, the one that's right about everything. Verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. Huh. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, 
Now, you guys have a good understanding of the word, but I can tell you that out of, if I've heard this passage preached a hundred times, about 99 of those times I've heard it stop after this next verse. And this is where they stop. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. What an encouraging thought. I'm not knocking the 99 sermons that I heard about this. What I'm saying is that there's more. Yeah. Verse 10. But that is true. The thing I'm about to say is even more important. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. We serve a God who is a revealer of secret things. He is a creator of secret things, but he is a revealer of secret things. When you are walking in the spirit, can I encourage you that the answer that you need to grow your business better is found in Christ. He is the revealer of secret things. I say it like this. God, I want to be able to see around corners and I want to be able to see the invisible. I want to see around a corner, right? You realize that's not possible, right? I want to be able to see down the road and around the corner. The things that no one else can see, I want to be able to see. You know why? Because you're a revealer of secret things. Amen. You know what I need help in is in my family to see around the corner. We have been encouraged by the Lord in our family uh, to, to homeschool our kids. God clearly spoke it to us in January. Homeschool the kids. We are getting ready to homeschool our two oldest kids. Um, I'm a, I was a school teacher. <laughs> I have a master's degree in education. I should be very... I was in a private school and in public school. I understand how charter schools work. There are a lot of schools that I could stick my kids in. But God told me, and specifically, my wife and I, to homeschool our kids. You know who God's going to use to really do a lot of the homeschooling? My wife. And it's going to be amazing. And you know what I know this is? I know that it's me seeing around the corner. I can't tell you why yet, but I know that I'm seeing around the corner when God told us to homeschool our kids and our kids went, yep, sounds like God. Mm. <laughs> Anointed, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, glory. There's no fighting from them. They went, okay, sounds good. All they've known is being in school. And they're saying, yeah, we'll do something We'll listen to God. We'll do exactly what God tells us to do. We won't fight you. We won't argue. We embrace you. Let's go. Well, praise God. Must, maybe God's in this. But we can see around corners. We encourage you in your business, folks. Those of you who own business or are part of businesses. Pray that God will show you to see around corners. The things that you cannot possibly understand why they're coming and why you're doing the things that you're doing with your company. Pray and God will show you. Not as a religious exercise, but as someone who can call to the revealer of secret things Amen. and find out what they need. Yeah. Let me encourage you in your family. Call out to the God who can reveal secret things. The hidden thoughts, the hidden sins, the great provision that he wants to provide. If you will follow, will allow, God will put us in the right place. The problem is, is we want to sometimes see what the end result is before we're willing to. 
which is really a lack of faith, right? If you see it, then there's no faith that's required. It's when we don't know why we're supposed to homeschool our kids. We are living in a, in a, in a city that has fantastic schools. Fantastic schools. Oh, okay, we'll pull them out when we're in the good schools. We'll leave them in when they're... Okay, great. <laughs> However you want to do this, God. For your family, for your home, for your kids, for your marriage, for your business. Whatever it may be, God is revealer of secret things. Let me wrap this up. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thought of a man except the man's spirit within him? We can say, you guys have been around long enough, you hear people say one thing and you know that they're thinking another. You know that they are. But that's all we have. The only person who knows really what's inside someone's heart is the Spirit. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. I always think about it like this. And this is a very... Maybe even a silly illustration. I always think about God being the revealer of secret things like the internet. I have access to all kind of information. I can just jump on and, oh, I can't remember who batted whatever in the World Series. Oh, I can't remember how to, the recipe for it. I can just jump on and in 0.3 seconds yeah. have 72,000 versions of whatever I just asked. Yeah. Right? I've got unlimited answers now, to what the issue with the internet is. How true. When we tap into the Spirit of God, we have unlimited access to everything that we need. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Amen. Amen. If you need to know it, stay plugged in, go to the Spirit of God, and you can know it. Amen. Don't walk around with the worldly mentality that says you don't have enough. You don't possess enough. You don't know enough. You haven't been trained enough. You are not enough. Whatever the, fill in the blank with whatever you're not enough in, the world, that worldly system says you're not enough. I'm saying, in Christ, you literally have everything you need. Amen. You can find the strategy that you've been struggling with. I don't know why I keep going back to this, and I, and other than I, I feel like it's God for somebody. I'm not a one who goes and normally talks to a lot of, on the business end. I'm telling you, there's somebody in here who God wants to give you an idea that will transform your business. Amen. It will give you favor. It will cause resources to come your way that you could not have done. Any, and everybody else is going to look to you and they're going to go, how did you, it's going to look like you have insider information. <laughs> and you do. It's just coming from the Holy Spirit. There, there are some, and maybe it's more than one, but I, I believe there are honestly some business owners or those who need to start businesses that God is going to use this principle of causing our mind to become right, to shake off the cobwebs. And by the way, the, issue, the idea is that you can't, this is not necessarily in one area. You've got to kind of always go for that mind of Christ so you can, I may be really good in one area and terrible in another. Well, God's trying to give us the, the totality of his mind. We have not received the spirit of the world, verse 12, but the spirit who is from God that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, God forbid, but in words taught by the spirit, expressing spiritual truth in spiritual words. That's why we cannot go by the way the world thinks and expect God to bless it. It's a whole different level. The man without the spirit does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. 
pretty powerful statement. When you are speaking to someone and they are not receiving it and not able to receive it, you are trying to speak spiritual truths and spiritual words. And if they are trying to understand you from a carnal or a natural point of view, it's not going to work unless God is allowing them an opening and drawing things into their understanding. For they are foolishness to him. We're talking gibberish. Our two-year-old does that right now. Anna, she's a cutie patootie. And she will talk to you like she is talking to you. Like with inflection. And But it's sometimes we can get it. And sometimes it's just kind of gobbledygook. Just happens. You're like, okay. Okay, I get it. I don't really get it, but I see that you're serious about it. Have you ever talked to somebody about something in the Lord and they really do the same thing? They're like, I can see that you're serious about this. I know you're trying to tell me something. You know? Not that that's it, ever happened. <laughs> Cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And this is this is uh, the next two verses here, and then I'm going to write them. The spiritual man makes judgments about all things. The Bible says, "Judge not, lest he be judged." Verse 15: The spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. There's a discernment that comes from walking in the spirit. If you're walking in the flesh. Yeah. You're being critical. You're being harsh. You're being a know-it-all. You're being prideful. Don't judge. But at the same time, you were supposed to have discernment. You were supposed to have the mind of God. Verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? There's another word. But we have the mind of Christ. We have it. I have it. As a believer, you have it. Amen. I don't always operate with the mind that he has given me. But I have the same mind that he has. Philippians 2. Let this mind, let this attitude be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the very form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself and took on the form of a servant. Mm. Right? You read through Philippians 2. It's all about having this mind of Christ. Mm. That God has given it to us. What are the practical applications in closing? We've got to put down vain thoughts that we have. Can I tell you that there are things that we imagine that create more problems in our lives than what the real problems are? <laughs> drama. Don't be a drama mom. <laughs> there, there are things that I envision and I imagine and I tie myself up in knots over and I lose sleep over and I, and I create angst in my own heart and they're not even real. <laughs> if I would just put on the mind of Christ, or if I would just voice them to someone who is wise, they would just go, that's ridiculous. That's the most ridiculous thing ever. Oh, yeah, you're right. I really didn't think that. You're like, yeah, yeah. We take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. Amen. That's part of taking your thoughts captive. If there weren't thoughts that had to be, if there weren't thoughts that were errant, or that would get stray, then the scripture wouldn't say, take every thought captive. It would just say, every thought is captive. <laughs> it says, take them and make them. <laughs> Sometimes I, when, when we're trying to leave church, when I'm with you guys, I call it 
an experience in hurting cats. Because yeah. <laughs> I get one of my family members where they're supposed to be, yeah. and then another one shoots off. Right. And then I go scoop them up, and another one shoots off. I'm like, okay, who has the baby? I don't know. Somebody yes. random person has our baby now. Let's go get them. <laughs> right? And it takes us forever to leave church in our world. And so sometimes our thoughts are the same way. Like, okay, I'm going to do better in my business. You got to kind of go get this one in line, and you just get it in line. And it's, we have to take our thoughts and make them captive. One of the most specific things that, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this one with you. Um, my wife and I were talking to a couple, and the argument was over if the wife worked hard. She's a stay-at-home mom, and the conversation over lunch was this. Uh, there was a comment made, and a, a husband rolled his eyes, well, we're off to work. And he kind of like, no, no, like, I'm going back to work, you're going back home. The issue in the argument was over whether, whether she worked hard, quote-unquote. My wife and I talked about it, and we, and, you know, the issue is not whether she works harder. Are you saying that what? Hang on. Just hang on. The issue is over lack of appreciation. They've wrapped it into, the truth is that she feels underappreciated. So to feel more appreciated, she wants to fight over whether she works hard or not. Thinking that if she wins the argument, she will feel appreciated. The truth is, she will not feel appreciated even if she wins the argument. She will win an argument which will cause resentment in him. Dang it. That's not what we were going for. They think they're fighting over who works hard. The truth is, is they've got some vain imaginations on just appreciation. Husband, make sure your wife feels appreciated. It will settle the argument. Right? <laughs> I think one of the things that's easiest for people to get most offended about is appreciation. At least in my world right now, I'm dealing with more people who if you really just dig down, it's a lack of appreciation that they feel. Is it really there? Most of the time, 99% of the time, they are actually very appreciated. But they feel like no one appreciates them. If only you knew what I would if only you knew how difficult it is to raise these kids. If only you knew how hard I work on the job. If only you knew what I really do for the kingdom. If only you knew the sacrifices that we've made for this. Can I tell you that even if we knew, you might not feel appreciated. The issue is that we, we serve one who knows, who appreciates, who's given his life. We should in turn appreciate and value each other. Truthfully, most of the time when I don't appreciate people, it's because I'm too involved in my own world. I'm too involved in my own thoughts that I feel underappreciated from somebody to really turn around and appreciate the people next to me. If I'm going to be truthful. People about, argue about the wrong thing. Just at, in, in closing. Wow. 
I don't know that this is um, something that requires necessarily an overly emotional response. I hope this is the kind of thing that you just chew on and it bothers you later on today. I hope I bother you. <laughs> Weird, right? I hope that three days from now when you're at work and you hear a vain imagination, a vain thought, a not a, something that's imaginary pop into your head. Holy Spencer Major. Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm going to take that in captive. I recognize Amen. it as an errant thought, and now Amen. I'm going to take it captive, and I'm not going to let anything come between me and my brother. I'm, um, I'm going to push forward the kingdom of heaven, and I'm not going to obstruct it because I'm just going to be selfish. I'm not going to have an issue with you. I'm going to, even if you meant to offend me, you know what? I'm not going to get offended. You know what? Because you're a brother in Christ. And even if you had a bad day, and you intentionally did something against me, I'm going to forgive. Amen. I'm going to let, I'm going to keep going in God. And you know what? I'm going to forgive you in a way because I want you to be free. I want you to be free too. Amen. I'm, I want, I'm so serious about the kingdom, even if you intentionally slight me. I love you. And JJ has a bad one. You know, I'm going to choose to cause my mind to be in perfect alignment with the, with the scripture. You know why? Because I have the mind of Christ. I don't have to beg for it. I don't have to try for it. I don't have to yearn for it. I don't have to go and do enough or whatever. It's just mine. I just need to use it. Amen. Part of the issue with, with the tree in the Garden of Eden, we've got a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? What people try to do is decide that if they work hard enough, they can get to the fruit that's good and not to the fruit that's bad. Can I tell you you're just trying to get up the wrong tree? Go to the tree of life. Go to the source. Quit on the trying part and be. Amen. You are a human being designed by God to do great things. You are designed to reflect the very face and heart of the God of all creation. Amen. Quit trying to do it in your own strength. Rise up and be what he's called you to be. Get away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's where I, and I've been a believer for a long time, and God has been gracious and we have seen favor in our life. I tell you these things not as if we were living in sin and now we've come into the glorious life. I'm telling you, even walking for God, there were things that I didn't have the right perspective of in my thinking. It's not quite as black and white as we were living in sin and now we're not. It's, I've been pushing after God as hard as I know how to for as long as I know how to. And I still have things that maybe I'm just now finally mature enough that he's showing me so I can correct. So that he can correct in my life. So that I can be be a human being. Don't be a human doing. That comes from the guy who wants to be a human doing. Amen. I do. But I am learning to trust more and more in him so that it's not just religion. It's not just words wise and persuasive words. It's a demonstration of the power of the Spirit. Does that make, does that make sense? Yeah. I hope you guys, as we're thinking about and you're going through the week and you're, you're shifting through all the activities in the week, I pray that God's mind be manifest in you and so that you can always match the right circumstance with the right gear in your thinking. So that you don't grind. So that you don't get tired and weary and well-doing. Because in due season you'll reap if you faint not. 
Let me pray with you guys. Father God, we love you so much. We honor you. Lord, we thank you that you give us your mind. Lord, why you entrust people like us with the very power of God, I don't understand in my own thinking. <laughs> For surely you use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. You use the weak things of this world to absolutely put down what looks to be strong. God, I just pray that in each person, Lord, that throughout, not only this week, Lord, I pray that this not be a day of, of thought. Lord, but this be a transformation from this point forward. Lord, that we will operate with your mind. Lord, that the offense that our culture wants to so easily put on us when we, the second that we get uncomfortable, Lord, we will have your mind. We will be willing to take whatever discomfort. Lord, we will be willing to do whatever it is that you call us to do because we have your mind. That we will flow. That we will be able, Lord, whether it's in our home, with our spouses, with our kids, in our businesses, Lord, that we will reflect your glory, that we will be everything that you've called and destined for us to be, that there will not be one part of our calling, not one iota that is left undone, that there will not be, that we will not run and labor in vain, God, but that we will go towards the mark, that we will run for you with all diligence, Lord, resting in you, knowing that you are the source we're not just working for you, God. We want to work from you. From a place of rest in you. From a place of the power of your spirit at work in our lives, God. Lord, move upon us. Lord, move mightily in this congregation. Move mightily in this congregation, Lord. Somehow, Lord, you are the, you are the only one that I know that can take one amount of words from a person's mouth and speak into each and every heart exactly what they need to hear. Lord, we pray that that be the case today. God, that our lives will reflect you more and more. That true growth will come. Lord, in the process, we'll learn how to shift just by hearing your voice. We'll learn to shift by what's going on around us, God. And that we will not have our heart mangled and harmed in the process, God. But that we will be strong, making an impact on the kingdom. Lord, we just love you and thank you. Amen. Amen. Church, we're going to close with those words. Why don't we stand to our feet? There's one last thing we want to do here. If you're a visitor, relax. It's not an offering. <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait. Proverbs 25.2 says that it is to the glory of God to conceal a matter. It is to the glory of kings to search it out. The same God who concealed all truth in himself called you a king and invites you to search him, search his mind, which he's freely giving. In our Gentile society, we don't have much of a Sabbath. We just don't do it. In fact, we probably don't even have an hour where you do nothing except reflect upon the goodness of God. Since we're not doing the traditional church thing with an altar call and all of those things, you think that when your lunch is done today, you might go find an hour and just sit with your family and reflect on what the Lord told you today. Could you, could you honor the labor that goes into a life that produces a word like this and honor the God who gave you the word 
by actually digesting it rather than just participating in that secondhand theology? Wouldn't that be worthwhile? I can tell you, me and my family will do that today. And I, I encourage you to follow our example. Amen. Could while we have Wade here, could y'all pray for him? Is there a man in the congregation that would like to come forward and pray for Wade? Come on, Mike. Come on, Charlie. You too. You stepped out and he raised his hand. I like both responses. Wade is my friend. And one of the reasons that I love him is he's allowed us the privilege of placing him above us. That's not something Christians are happy with usually. He's somebody that can provide for us guidance. And although he doesn't always feel like he's the one to give us guidance, that's made him perfect to give us guidance. Just exactly what he preached today, he's living. And then, although it's not his nature to clench his fist, look me in the eye and say, hey, I think we ought to do it this way. He finds the courage in the Holy Ghost to do it. And I respond, you need friends like that, friends. If you don't have them, do whatever it takes to obtain them. Whatever it takes. You might have to encourage somebody standing next to you that they have it inside of them. Because this is what makes the kingdom go round. When we love each other enough to do these kind of things. That was a good word. Amen. I'm going to leave him to my brothers to pray for. And I'm going to come join you because I like to be in the congregation. And I'm going to ask you to join hands. And let's be in unity as we pray for Wade and uh, his family.